0: Good morning. So we uh, are past the midway point in this series, I was thinking it's a, this series really encompasses uh, two things, two things that I think are really the definition of covenant church. Uh, these are the two things, if you could simplify it all, there's two things about covenant that make covenant covenant. You take one of those away and we're no longer the church that we need to be. And, and the first one is we're committed to be a church that unchurched, dechurched people who've had it with church love to come to. Uh, We want to be a church for both the nuns, and I'm not talking about Catholic sisters who serve people, uh, but N-O-N-E-S, people who say, I have no religious affiliation, no interest, whatever. We want to be people who that group, as well as the duns. The duns are people who say, I've been there, experienced church, I don't need that. We want the nuns and the duns to come here and find a place where they can work out their questions, their issues, in an atmosphere of grace, of authenticity, um, where they experience that in the whole atmosphere. Absolutely essential, because uh, if Jesus is anything, he's for everyone, and he's for everyone to come and know. So that's number one. We want to be that kind of church, and praise God, we see evidence of that again and again. But that conviction is really worthless unless we have a second thing true of us. We can't just be a church where everybody comes and discovers Jesus unless we're committed to everything that he says. That we're committed to the scriptures That we're committed not to say that we're all that and we have all that together and we want to help you get that. But we say, no, we're living under this, receiving it, trying to process it, trying to put it into practice in our life. And this is what we have to offer, unfiltered, undiluted. We don't water it down. We don't apologize for it. We don't pretend that we understand it all or we have it all together either. But we're committed to it. And when you bring those two things together, a place that recognizes Jesus is for absolutely everybody, the nuns and the duns and we're committed to the scripture, then you've got a powerful combination. It's called the New Testament Church. It's what the Bible calls us to. And this series is kind of getting real about both of those things, because it's saying, is our life up to code? Just like the building has code requirements, time Uh, tested, tried, and true for what a church should be building-wise so that it's safe and structurally sound. It's also true for what discipleship is. Discipleship is being an apprentice of Jesus, saying that we've signed up and we want to live the life that Jesus would live if he were living our life. And so we're we're asking that question. And we come to one of the challenging things in the New Testament that Jesus talked about a lot um, that can actually be something that we kid ourselves about or that sneaks up on us. And I want to begin with a video about this particular sin or challenge to walking with Jesus. Let's watch it and then we'll dig in.
1: Greed. No one admits to feeling it. Yet it is the purest of emotions. We had to be taught to be selfless. It it didn't come naturally to us. Like algebra, sharing was an alien concept. Truth is, we want the moon, the crown, and the spotlight. We want an endless tirade of jealousy disguised as compliments and greed. our access all areas season pass. So, darlings, if you're being taught otherwise, do yourself a favor. Fail that class and reach for the last slice. Unleash greed. The center for its sale now on
0: No, I don't know where you can get that stuff, uh, what they're advertising. Uh, no, it's nothing bad as far as I know. But what a, what a gotcha moment. I love how they say, we want the moon. We want an endless tirade of compliments that are really just jealousy descri- uh, disguised as compliments. But we want to be the center of attention. We want to have the affirmation. Uh, we want to have the power, the prestige, and the material things and yet it sneaks up on us in all of these ways so that it's, it's one of those sins that is it's like the radon gas sin. If, if it's going to do us in, if it's poison, it does it in an odorless, colorless, undetectable kind of way. And yet Jesus talked about this sin more than 10 times more than he talked about any other kind of sin. And he must have done that for a reason. In fact, I'm sure if I talked about it as much, like if we broke down into series, then you would be complaining like, okay, we get it. Please stop. Because we're not very reliable uh, brokers of what we need to have talked about, by the way. (laughs) But but we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where Jesus, so we have Jesus, the incarnate God, who had to be the most... Arresting speaker to listen to who's ever walked the planet. I mean, there's a lot of evidence of that in the Gospels. Thousands and thousands of people would line up to to listen to him, sit on a hill all day, go without food, right? And so he's he's speaking about his kingdom uh, like only he can, and he's actually interrupted in this passage by someone who, while he's talking about these lofty, incredibly heavenly things that only he can talk about, this guy wants to talk about his dad's will and how his brother's not doing right with him. (laughs) Uh, Makes me feel better when, you know, you're looking at your iPhone when I'm doing my best to preach my heart out. It's like, well, it happened to Jesus. So um, if it happened to him, it's going to happen to me too. (laughs) But we're in this passage where that's what's going on. And the very thing that the man asks about becomes an illustration of what Jesus needs to warn this crowd about. He wasn't on this topic before, but now he is. So let's read this passage. Uh, Jesus tells a parable, which is a story that he tells so we can see our face in the story. Uh, and then we'll, we'll break it down. So here we have it. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And just want you to know something in the original here is the you is plural. So this guy's brother who he's in this fractured argument over things with, is standing right next to him. And Jesus is basically saying, I'm not going to get involved in that. This, this is really interesting, because if you come to Jesus because you think he's going to answer all your questions or solve all your problems, here's evidence that he says, uh-uh, nope, not going to solve that problem. Really interesting. Um, but, verse 14, <clears throat> but he said to him, man, who... I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Then further down the passage, beginning in verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We're going to look at three things in this passage, and the first thing we're going to look at is is why we should beware of greed and how greed can make us fools. He doesn't simply say it can make us foolish. A lot of sins can do that, but greed can cause the pursuit of things, the pursuit of more, whatever category that more is, whether it's material, dollars, attention, uh, whatever, um, the pursuit of that can make us live the totality of our life in such a way that God says you are a fool. Pretty severe statement by God. And Jesus says we've got to be on guard against this. And that's because greed is one of those sins, again, like we don't naturally detect it. We don't know when we're committing it. Uh, in fact, there's no level in the Bible that says, hey, if you're this rich, if you own this kind of house or this many houses or this many cars, you, cars you've passed into greed. The Bible doesn't say that. There's not like a tripwire. There's some people in the Bible who are very, very... Uh, predominantly known for loving God, Abraham, David, Daniel, um, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who were very wealthy. Uh, in 1 uh, Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes that in the congregation, there were those who were rich. And he doesn't say, hey, they're so rich, they need to, they've reached this level, they can't own that much, they've got to give it all. They, you don't have that kind of tripwire. But he does say, warn them not to place their hope in riches. And the, here, it's a tripwire that we don't really see because it's an invisible one of the heart. It's not one fixated on a particular kind of numbers. You can be very poor and not have much stuff, and you can be in the throes of greed. Uh, you can have a whole lot of material things, and they don't really have a hold on you. It's not the possessions you own. It's whether those things actually own you, or it's not not having them. It may be the wanting of them that holds us. Uh, and, and so it becomes this tricky kind of thing. We don't really know when we're committing that sin. Now, a lot of sins that we commit, we know when we commit them. I mean, I remember the first time I lied, I remember committing that sin. I lied about my neighbor friends, and I told my parents, I said, "Uh, their parents are going away, and they expect us to babysit them, because I wanted to keep playing with them. And my dad, who was a school principal, um, in those days, they applied the board of education to the seat of learning when you were disobedient, and my dad did that very lovingly, appropriately, uh, in a fatherly way. But I remember when I lied, uh, and and usually we know when we're lying I, I, I remember another time uh i remember when i shoplifted it was the only time i did that <laughs> i've lied since then but i've never shoplifted I, I remember getting home <laughs> and uh both my grandmother and mother said where did you get i forget what the little toy was i think it was some kind of little car but where did you get that and i was just like i knew it was wrong to do it but i thought. i the store gave it to me. They were not buying that. And I remember being marched back into that store, made to apologize. You know, I thought they were going to take me out in handcuffs. Uh, but I knew when I was doing that. We don't need warnings about those sins in the same way because they're not invisible to us. Um, you know, if you, you, don't need a, you don't have a warning about sexual sin. You don't have a warning about beware of adul- adultery. It might sneak up on you. No, adultery is having sex with someone and they're not your spouse. And you generally know when you're doing that. So Jesus didn't have to say, beware of that sin. And and, and while every sin can break us, this sin in particular has the power to fool us and to make us a fool. And so Jesus warns about it. The the pursuit of things can have this impact on us, and so it can cause us to shut down our, our, our evaluative faculties. And so you find people who say, yeah, I, I actually took a job, even though that, I knew that job was going to wreck my health. It was going to mean I wasn't going to be available for my marriage. It was going to cause it problems. I was not going to be home during years and years when my children were being raised. And yet, for the sake of that job, that promotion, that ambition, I took that job, but I wrecked my health. I wrecked my marriage. I wrecked my kids and my relationship with them. And, and people do that. Or, or, or someone will take a job or prepare for a career saying, well, you have to be practical. So I, had to, I took the career that was the job that would pay the bills. And so I pursued all of this. And then I'm in a career that doesn't really fit my passion, my drive. And yeah, it lets me live in a larger house, but I'm miserable. Why did you make that decision with your life? It was all in the chase of, of, of this uh, and, and so it makes us a fool in those ways. But this man we see was was kind of a, a, a first-class fool in that that he had had a bumper crop. And so you would have thought that it would expand his horizon. But his horizon became smaller and smaller and smaller the wealthier he got. Um, and so he has no imagination. He doesn't say, okay, I've got a windfall and things are going well. I've got more money than I can ever spend in a lifetime. And so now I'm going to go, I'm going to enjoy some of the wonders of the world. I'm gonna travel, I'm gonna see things and take in the splendor for which God's given the world or, or, or I'm gonna buy a subscription to the symphony or, or, or to the art museum or I'm gonna enjoy these good things of creation. No, he's just fixated. He wants to make more and more money. I remember as a kid, I was shoveling snow for a man who came out. I didn't even know what to make of this, but he said, I've passed the million dollar mark. I own a million dollars in CDs. That was when banks used to pay interest. And he'd saved it up, and he had it all. And I, and you know, I'm, I'm trying to think. Well, I hope he's generous. I think I made three dollars shoveling his um, sidewalk, snow shoveling. But I didn't. I didn't make. But later on, I knew that 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 man actually died without children, and and most of that estate was just eaten up by the state. But he got pleasure just in the accumulation of it, just in the accumulation of it. Money, money can deceive us in that way. Uh, And and so. You wish you could advise this man, but here's, here's why he's a fool, ultimately. He allowed the means by which we live our life to be a greater reality and to blind him for the end and purpose by which we live our life. So he allowed the means to overcome his purpose. He allowed his means to be of greater importance and to loom over the end for which he was really living, and that's so foolish, and all he could do was think about accumulating more and more means. And he didn't even have any sense of, of generosity for it. Uh, my grandfather was a farmer, and it was always uh, always amazing. And he spoke with some amazement about the fact that that the weather had cooperated and there wasn't a blight, and he always had a crop. And I remember... Uh, A real struggle in his life came in the 70s. I think they began it. They continue it today. And uh, the government offered him a deal he really couldn't refuse. And that was, we want you to not grow any crops on on like 80 to 100 acres of your land. And we will pay you just like, we'll pay you equal to what you would have made if you had planted corn and soybeans and other crops on that land. And he really struggled with it. But finally, he signed that contract that the land would go fallow for 10 years and during that time, there was a famine in Ethiopia, and I remember him thinking, "He's like, I would, I would grow crops on that, and 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 use the proceeds to send that over there, and 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 yet I'm, I'm being paid to do nothing with it." And and that was because he had a godly imagination of of living for others. He would have said, "I know where I'll store this grain. I'll store it in the hungry bellies of children who are starving." But this man had no sense of that, and. And if uh, I want you to see his speech is so full of I. Um, this speech he makes a speech that in the original uh, Greek that Jesus told the story in, or, and, and Luke wrote it down as about sixty words. Sixteen of the sixty words are I, me, my, mine. Uh, it, it's as though there is no one else in his life. It's like, and and I'm sure, like, is this guy really going to be the one who tear, you know, tears down his barns and builds them? You can't even do that alone. <laughs> You need a team of people. But he'd do all this on his own. But it's all, he's all wrapped up in himself. He's got such a narrow capacity of, and, 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 and no imagination left. And so he speaks of this. And I, I love how the King James translates verse 19. He's, it says, he says, soul, take thine ease. Basically, retire, but use all the energy of retirement just to accumulate more and more and more and more. Uh, and, and so um, he's relying upon money, in a sense, to do for him what only God can do for him. I mean, here's the reality. I've known people who, some people who are very wealthy, and, I, and, and I've walked with them through some difficult times. And I know that some of them would say things like, you know what? Nothing that I own or have is worth more than to me. I would trade it all in for just another year of health. Or I would trade it all in just so this member of my family might have health. Or, or maybe they've lost some particular faculty. Maybe they're going blind. Maybe they're and, and like, I would, I would give away everything I have for the ability to see or the ability to experience something that is often so freely and generously giving that we don't equate, that we don't weigh in the balance and 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 so money has this capacity to to blind us to this uh, and this man who interrupts Jesus with this question make my brother divide his inheritance it's ripping his family and his relationship apart uh, we know that this happens with wills right so often when the will is read when the, when the the second parent dies and, the, and it, that it separates the siblings i've seen that story play out and it can be over ridiculous silly things it can be like i wanted the trampoline or i wanted the china closet <laughs> Or I wanted the cuckoo clock. And for the sake of a cuckoo clock, siblings are ripped apart from each other. And he said, well, do you, you value that sibling? What, $300 worth? A china cabinet worth? Even thousands of dollars worth? Really? That's the price you put on a human relationship? And so, so money can make us do really fool, foolish, horrible things and 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 to shut down toward god and so it's it's really important that we understand the influence that it has upon us it can make us discontented in some of the best years of our lives because of anxiety it can make us project fears into the future that we'll never even live to see and and all the surveys say that again that we are uh, the, one of the wealthiest nations in the world and generally at a time of great wealth and prosperity in our country, all the surveys say that if you ask people, the overwhelming, overwhelming majority of Americans say they don't have enough money to meet their needs. And, and that's evidenced by the fact that there are little pieces of plastic that people use and then get over their heads and, and they really have leveraged those credit and and to get further over their heads and so that they're, Sally so will never actually meet their needs. They'll always be chasing after debt that will always accrue more interest than they can pay. And, and so it tells us that this is this, is this kind of need that, that really can't be satisfied in us. And, and we've, we've got to pay attention to it. Jesus says, watch out. Be aware. Understand when you're coming under the influence of greed and covetousness. And there are two things that I think Jesus gives in this passage that primarily are ways that we can can overcome greed and covetousness. And the first one is to make God's purpose ours. We find when Jesus talks about material things, he often introduces as the counterpunch to pursuing material things, a call to serve his kingdom. The kingdom of Christ is the gift of living this adventure with Christ in a way that makes him glorious, and known. It magnifies the greatness of who he is. We're made in the image of, of, our, of our perfect God. We're, we're put in a relationship with him. We're made to be relational to the core of our beings and then to, out of that relationship, live for this transcendent purpose that will last forever. And so we have to look at our purpose or otherwise Everything we experience in life, even the good things, has nothing on which to terminate itself, nothing on which to fix itself. And we just our our life is just a story of a succession of experiences, pleasures, trials, sufferings, and joy that has no storyline to it. And and living for the kingdom of Christ, Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, talking about material, he said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Uh, and, and so we we have to understand that we need that ultimate purpose, and it's a purpose that satisfies our heart is the one that Jesus provides. It's a great little book by uh, Professor Peter Crift. Peter Krift, uh teaches at Boston College he teaches philosophy and he is uh, a strong and very thoughtful Christian and he, he writes this book and it starts with a college student who's reading a book on their bed and so this questioner comes to the college student and says, "Why are you reading the book?" And the student says, "Well Um, because I want to get a good grade in this course. He says, well, then, why do you want to get a good grade in the course? He says, well, because it leads to a good degree. Why do you want a good degree? Because it leads to a career uh, that can pay the bills. Why do you want a career that pays the bills? Um, Because I I want to support a family. Um, You have no idea how expensive it is to to live in this world and be able to start a family and provide for a family. He's getting a little frustrated with the questioner, and the questioner says, well, um, what's so expensive about raising a family? And he says, "Well, most expensive thing is what I'm doing right here. I'm I'm going to college. I wanna I wanna be able to to support a family and send my kids to college. And why do you want to send your kids to college? Because I want them to read a book, <laughs> and pass the class, and get the degree. And there, there's just a." It's like that hamster wheel that never goes anywhere, and so many people are living that life, and they have no idea of why they're just completing this cycle that really has nothing of lasting value that you can fix yourself upon. And, and, and purpose uh, is it, it, what we're made for, not these other things. And so I think sometimes we've got to almost rebuke the the. The physical things—not that physical things are bad, but they have a—they have an ability to give us this illusion that that's where our life really consists of. We all have different things we like. We all have whether it's material things, whether it's an antique, whether it's whether it's a new flat screen that we're going to watch the games on. And sometimes I think it's just helpful to us to look at those things and say to our flat screen or. Uh, Or or to say to our new automobile or to say to something precious and just simply to say, hey, you are future landfill material. (laughs) It is those the the chandeliers, the things I'm not saying you decorate your home, make it a lovely place to gather. There's no guilt in that. God is good. He gives things richly to be enjoyed. But just realize those things are not eternal. You know, even a beautiful diamond engagement ring eventually that diamond engagement ring, maybe it'll be passed down to the family. Eventually it will get to somebody who doesn't know you or doesn't know your story. It eventually will be passed to somebody who says, oh, I don't like the setting or the cut of that. Let's rip that out of there. Let's put that in something else. And eventually somebody will drop it and it'll go down the drain and it'll be gone. So, I mean, we, we, we've got to call those things for what they are. But, but the investment that we make in people, the investment we make in the kingdom of Christ, the investment we make in bringing the reign of Christ into all the broken spheres of our life and the world and other people around us, those things last forever. It won't be taken away from us if we, if we sponsor a child or we support a ministry that brings the hope of Jesus Christ to someone. Or we give ourselves in in that way. We need to be fixed on that purpose. And here's the, the third and the final point is we've got to invest our heart there. Now, I want you to see this verse, what it means. We often reverse it. He doesn't say where your heart will be, your treasure will be. He's not saying what you feel excited about, you will treasure. But he's saying, no, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So I don't know what amount of money it would take for you. It wouldn't take this much for me, but let's just imagine you had $100,000 cash and you buried it. You were told you had to bury it in your backyard. If I did that, I would be checking that spot every single day. You know, it, there would be bricks, maybe if I could put concrete on top of it, but I'd make sure, has anybody drilled into the concrete? Has anybody gone underneath it? I mean, I'd be, it'd be there because that's where my treasure is. $100,000 would have my attention. Probably have attention of everybody in this room because the treasure is there. I would, I may have never, ever felt a warm feeling about that spot in my yard before, but once my treasure is there, oh, it's my favorite spot in the yard. I go there to read. I go there to just <laughs> think of things, just to be near. But the, the, the treasure is there and the heart follows. My emotions follow where the treasure is. It's why... It's why giving is really, it's not so much that God needs the gift. It's not poor Jesus, his poor little church. It's just, no, we need to invest because then we will care. I mean, I've found it myself. I'll just tell you the story on myself. Is I don't think this makes my heart look good. This makes my heart look bad. I pray more and care more about short-term missionaries and missionaries that I personally give to. Now, if you give to covenant uh, in a generous way, you're supporting all of them. And so it, it helps me because... I've I buried some treasure there. When I give significantly, and again that's different for different people. When I give significantly to a ministry or to something that is advancing the kingdom of Christ, I, I care more, and that is exactly what I think Jesus is getting at here. Our heart follows the investment, and that's why He calls us to invest. You know, I've tried for years. I, I love to grow vegetables in my backyard. And so I have five kids and I have this illusion that all of them are going to become uh, passionate about growing vegetables in the backyard, in my backyard garden. Hasn't worked out so well. And now they're age 20 to 29. I don't think I'm going to do so well. Uh, But just this past year, what I've learned is if I can lure them out in the garden in the springtime, and usually I've already prepared the soil and I've even, you know, hoed the row, and I can get them to plant the seeds in the ground, I will take kids who are who are neutral to passionless about vegetables, and they'll all of a sudden start to care a little bit. I actually had one of our kids, and we'll see which one. I, I lured them out there to plant some okra seeds. They don't even like okra, I don't even fully know what it is. And all of a sudden, they're out there checking their okra plants, even though there's other plants, they actually like the vegetables a whole lot more because they made the investment. And then, man, when they tasted what their mom could do with okra, with Indian spices, and wow, wow, they were really proud and excited about it. But you know what? Their heart followed their investment. Our hearts follow our investment. It's not our investment to follow our heart. And so I, I, I think, you know, of when you're able to really experience delight and pleasure and of heart and emotion, what sometimes we, the reason we run out of passion in life is because we have, we're not making the right investments in life. You know, we've all probably envied the person who, who maybe it's a violin concerto or they're playing the piano in this great concerto and they're just like lost in the wonder and amazement of the music and they're all caught up in it, right? You know where that came from. It, their heart is able to delight in that because they, they experienced what probably a great majority of us experienced. They experienced the drudgery of the investment and we all remember this little song if we took piano lessons, fine, middle C, C, I am playing middle C, it is simple, can't you see? Right, we all, how many of us can find middle C? A whole bunch of us. How many can play a concerto? Not so many of us. We didn't stick with the investment, and so we don't get to experience what that person experiences when they play that music and they are swept away. And, and, and there's a spiritual principle there. Sometimes I counsel people who have gotten to a really hard place in a marriage, and they say, I can't imagine investing anymore in this marriage. We have mistreated each other. We have been rude to each other. We've ignored each other to the point where this marriage is just dead, dead, dead. And I don't feel anything toward the marriage, and I'm not going to put anything in it. And I say, That's, you've got it backward. Go back and invest. You know, meet at the cross, go to God first, but then go back and say, I'm going to put the, the, start dating each other. <laughs> Give yourself to each other. Make that investment, and it's amazing what God can do when people bury some treasure in each other. It's amazing how the heart can be renewed in that. And 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 that's why giving is always it's it's more about us. I mean, look, I didn't care about Zimbabwe in, until I made the investment of going there. If you had known me before I ever went there, it was many years ago. I was kind of conflicted. Is this a good idea? Should I go? What will I think? What will I feel? But then you go and you're like, and I know many of you experienced that. You go places, you invest, you do something, you go to Camden, you, you, you make a commitment somewhere and all of a sudden you are energized and awakened to that reality. And that's what God wants for us. You know, there's, there's something insidious that can happen to us if we don't have that passion and we aren't making the right investments. And yeah, it includes finances. It's more than finances. People who are generous financially are usually generous in a whole lot of other ways too, because generosity doesn't know a compartment. But if you're generous, it will show up in your finances. It will make an impact. There'll be some proportion and there'll be some limitation of the freedom because you won't be able to spend everything you take in on yourself. That's the The beauty of proportional giving is like it takes a significant proportion and it plants that flag enough that you pay attention to that investment. That's that's the goal. And I mean, I don't know whether I will ever see 80 years old, but I've I've actually thought it a useful environment to think, what kind of 80-year-old will I be? Because I don't think that there are a whole lot of 80-year-olds that I would say are in between. I think 80-year-olds are either like full of passion and zest and excitement and just contagious. You just want to be around them. Because they're, they're overflowing with that, with that kind of joy. Or an 80-year-old is kind of full of, of criticism and crankiness and complaints. And, and I think that it encroaches upon us, especially men. I see it. The church is full of 50-year-old men who are curmudgeons. <laughs> we, are, we are. We don't need any more. They're, they're, they may be, dist- they're cranky. And 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 that middle age crisis that is part of it. I mean these other things start to betray you. It's like no more promotions and yep, you're going to be writing the checks to the colleges and yep, you're you know you're not going to have all so it's, it can be a cranky time. I I I don't think there's a whole lot of in the middle. I think people are either or and it's like those decisions go, are you living in that transcendent purpose of the kingdom that lasts forever that infuses your life with joy? that will enable you to face hardships and trials the way the apostle Paul did in, in Acts 20. He says, I consider my own life as not being very dear to myself, his own life. He says, only that I will finish the course that God gave me in testifying to the gospel of grace. It filled him with passion, but also with a, with a lack of self-regard, with a, with a lack of the paralysis that comes from the stress that comes when we allow the wrong things to bear the weight of the significance of life. God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want that for me. He has so much more for us. And and when that happens, it will be evidence in that we will become a generous person in every category. And that's why Jesus says, beware, beware. Because if you don't invest and if you don't have this transcendent person, you will not be the kind of person that you want to be, the person you would want to hang out with. And so I'll put it like this. Every single one of us in this room, including me, we have things that we treasure God is good. He gives us things to delight in and to enjoy. There's no guilt with those things. But at the center of the center of our hearts, there is something that we look to to be our security, our significance, our beauty, the source of pleasure. There's something we treasure as the ultimate treasure. There's at the center of every soul. There's something that we would call our precious, <laughs> right? And and every one of those things, as it gets power over us, it basically will say. Die for me. You should die for me. Um, Die to own me. Die to maintain me. And every treasure except one will demand that we sacrifice ourselves and in some way diminish some portion of who we are in order to hold on to it, to maintain it. It will drive us. It will say we have to run after it. Every treasure except one. And that other treasure is Jesus and he's the only treasure who doesn't say you need to die and run after me but he he says no i will die for you the most beautiful treasure the treasure who is our purpose the treasure that if we invest in him he will never ever let us down all who hope in him are disappointed are never disappointed it means that in every other investment there is disappointment there is a crash coming in all the other stocks we can invest in. But in Jesus, it says there will never be disappointment in him. Every treasure except Jesus demands that you die to purchase it. But Jesus is the only treasure that died to purchase you. He's the only one who could die to purchase us. And when you make him your treasure, and you see how much he treasures you, how he treasures you now. Can you let that soak in? And think of him on the other side of that blood-stained cross treasures you and because of that he wants to set you free from the things that trivialize you because as his treasure he's jealous for you and when you make him your treasure because you realize how much he's treasured for you how much he treasures you now then you'll be free from money blindness then you'll be free from this short-sightedness that makes us cranky and stressed out where we short ourselves and it's then we'll be free of this, but it's then and only then and not until then. This is the only way to be free of it. Let's pray. Father, truly we, we thank you for these words. We need to be awakened to the things that drive us, to the things we're chasing, to the things that we're running after that deplete us. You're the only thing we can give ourselves fully to, and you don't deplete us, you increase us. And so God, we pray in this closing song, we might freshly commit ourselves to live for you and to live in the freedom and the joy of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.